Today we'll be concluding our Advent series in which we've been considering what it means that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not his last name. It is a title that's been given to him. So we've discussed what that title means, and we've looked at how our Lord Jesus, the Christ, is the only suitable, the all-sufficient, and the compassionate Christ. All of these matter because they in every way pertain to us as sinners separated from God who need this Christ, this Savior. And we need him to be everything that he is in order to save us from our sins. To close out our series, we'll be considering why it matters that Jesus is the eternal Christ. Our base text this morning is going to be Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. Turn there with me in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, if you don't have a Bible, you can find it on the blue pew Bible under your chair or in the chair in front of you on page 624. And by all means, if you don't own a Bible, please, on behalf of Redeemer, take that Bible home with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word yourself. If you're new to the Bible as well, if you're looking there, you'll find that as you get to page 624, there's a name at the top, Isaiah. It's Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, you'll find big numbers. Big numbers are chapters and little numbers are verses. So we're going to be in the big chapter, 65, and small letters, small numbers, verses 17 through 25. So you can look there with us. And to be clear up front this morning, our text will be functioning a lot like that refrain that we sang, and come behold the wondrous mystery. These verses will serve to point our eyes back before creation all the way up to Christ's first advent when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, when he lived, died, and was buried and rose from the grave, which is our hope now. Looking back in faith will ground our assurance today while also pointing our eyes forward to Christ's second advent. Because the same Jesus that came 2,000 years ago is the Jesus who rose from the dead and said he was coming again. So with this in mind, it's important for us to remember and today consider that Jesus is the eternal Christ. Have you ever considered eternity? Maybe as the music plays while you're on hold with the bank or the doctor or sometimes your mother, you feel like and think to yourself, this feels like an eternity. Maybe when you're standing in line at your favorite coffee shop on a busy day with one barista behind the counter, you know it's going to be a long time, you might think to yourself, this really feels like an eternity. Maybe you think that when you're forced to sit through an uncomfortable situation, this really, really feels like an eternity. What are we saying when we say that? Well, usually what we mean is that something is taking a long time, or at least a lot longer than we would like it to take. But eternity can't be measured with time. Because in fact, eternity is without time. Having no beginning and no end. Think about that. No beginning and no end. That's a long time. It is impossible for our finite minds to comprehend eternity, but that doesn't stop us from trying, right? We've, we've tried, but the only way we can seem to wrap our minds around it is to measure eternity with time. We call it timeless. We call it immeasurable, infinite, unlimited, understanding it more so through the lens of what it's not rather than what it is, eternity. We cannot comprehend eternity, but the scriptures have a lot to say about eternity. One verse in particular I'd like to point out to you is this, Isaiah 57, 15, just a few chapters before our text. Isaiah writes this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. The one who is high and lifted up, that, that's God. God inhabits eternity. And we've already strained our minds thinking of eternity having no beginning and no end, but God inhabits eternity. And if God inhabits eternity, God has no beginning. And God has no end. God himself is eternal. And as we've talked about in this series, it is our eternal God who became flesh in time 
Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. And he remains our Christ for eternity. This is important for us to keep in mind as we look at the scriptures this morning. We're going to be looking at the Christ in eternity past, if I can use a time signature to stamp that, what Christ has accomplished for us in the present and what we have to look forward to in Christ in eternity future. Time stamp. This morning, we'll feel cyclical by design. Past, present, future. Past, present, future. You'll notice this. But my hope within the cycle is to help us to take a step outside of the cycle and take a big eternal look at a big eternal picture. And there my hope is to apply the truths that we see in the scriptures as practically as I can. And Lord willing, you leave this morning with a better grasp of our eternal Christ and why this is good news for you today. So with that, let's read Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit it. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord God, Yahweh, the one true God. There is no other. According to verse 25, he is speaking. He is speaking to his prophet Isaiah, whom the book is named after, and he is telling Isaiah that he, God, will create a new heavens and a new earth. This is something that will happen in the future based on the language that he uses in texts like verse 19. God will rejoice in Jerusalem after he creates it. No more shall be heard a sound of weeping then. When he creates it then, in the future, these things will be true. For the first time, this is interesting to see, for the first time and the only time in all the Old Testament, God reveals explicitly where we're headed. It's a new heavens and a new earth. This language is familiar to us as Christians because of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. The Holy Spirit was showing the Apostle John this revelation of of what the end would look like, what's going to come in the end. And John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling, and they will He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. With that verse in mind, let's look back at our text, verse 17. It says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Right from the onset, verse 17, if we're fresh to this text, if we're fresh 
to the Bible, and we wanted to ask a good question. Before we let this text point our eyes forward to the glories that we know will come in the new heavens and the new earth, we must first ask this question. Why does God intend to make a new heavens and a new earth? To ask it a different way, what is wrong with the heavens and the earth that he's created right now, that we live in? To get the answer to that question, we need to look back into eternity past where the triune God was and nothing else existed because he had not yet created it. As our triune God was, follow me, he foreordained and willed an eternal plan. He did not do it haphazardly or out of mistake or with no plan in mind. He ordained all that ever would be with a perfect eternal plan because God is eternally perfect. And so, to be clear up front as well, the first point of reference in all of this, to be clear, a clear statement, God's eternal plan was for Jesus to be the eternal Christ. Nothing happened by mistake. This wasn't an accident. He didn't make up for a problem. This was his eternal plan for Jesus to be the eternal Christ. Within God's perfect eternal plan, the triune God would create We see from Genesis 1, he would create the heavens and the earth. He would create light and separate it from the darkness. He would separate the waters of the earth and create land. He would create vegetation on the earth. He would fill the heavens with lights, the sun, moon, and the stars. And then he would fill the earth and waters with life, living creatures. Finally, at the pinnacle of his creation, he would create a man from the dust of the earth. And he would create him in his image and breathe his life into him. And from that man, he would create a woman to be his helper. God created man to dwell with man. He created man as his image bearer to rule and reign over the world God created, like God rules and reigns over the entire cosmos that he created. He gave this man directions, laws, that he might flourish. Do this and don't do this. And it was for his good. And within God's perfect eternal plan, the triune God's creation would fall. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were tempted by Satan in the garden in which they were created. And they chose there to rebel against God, their creator, to disobey God's clear commands given to them for their good, for their flourishing. They chose to sin, to disobey, and the moment they chose to disobey God, they fell. And oh, how far of a fall it was. By fall, what I mean is that they were separated from God. They could no longer stand in the presence of their holy God because they were sinners. All of the human race since, all of us now, like Adam, are sinful by nature. We're naturally bent in rebellion against our holy God. And we, therefore, like Adam and Eve, cannot stand in the presence of a holy God with our sin. We can't. Left to ourselves, we will receive his judgment. Because our holy God is a just God, a righteous God. But God, in the garden, showed mercy to our first parents and through them to us. Instead of judging them right then and there, he sent them away with a promise. A promise that one day one of their offspring would crush the head of the serpent that tempted them away from the living God, Satan. And within God's perfect eternal plan, the triune God would receive all glory, all honor, and all praise from his fallen creation because within his perfect eternal plan was the agreement to send the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, into the world that God created, the world that has fallen, and the Son of God would save the world. How would he do it? The plan is that he would become flesh made like us in every way, the man, Christ Jesus, and would do what Adam could not do himself. He would obey perfectly. Yet, he would die in our place 
as sinners because sin must be paid for. But then our God, the Son of God, would rise from the dead and conquer sin and death forever. Christ then would disarm and has disarmed them. And his now death and sin are disarmed. And is now Christ is the Redeemer of all who would call on him in faith. This has been, this is, and this will be the perfect eternal plan fulfilled when Christ returns. So that by now, by faith now, you and I, we can be set free from our bondage to sin and death and be reunited with our God. But not simply to dwell with him in his presence like Adam and Eve. The eternal plan is that he would dwell within us by the Holy Spirit. God's perfect eternal plan was for his first creation to fall so that upon Christ's first advent, his being born, living, dying, and rising, all things would be subjected to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through Christ, all things would be subjected to God the Father. And at that very end, the last day, as we know it, Christ would consummate this plan. God would be all and in all God would thus receive all glory, all honor, and all praise that is due to his name. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. I blew it up. He summarizes it. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him, to Jesus. Then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, the Father who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all, past, present, future past, present, future. The eternal God made an eternal plan that the eternal Son of God would be born in time. The man, Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.20, that he might reconcile us to, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross right now. So that we who repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ right now will be saved right now into all of eternity that is to come. Because our Christ remains our Christ for eternity. Jesus is our eternal Christ. The plan for all eternity is that we would not just be with God, but that we would be united to him. And you and I can only be united to our God through Jesus. There is no other way. Have you ever considered eternity like this? Eternity that was, eternity that awaits us? And where we will spend eternity, friend, is determined right now, today, in time. God has purposed that it would be so. And God offers us eternal life through Jesus the Christ. John 3, 36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friends, only God has the power and authority to offer us eternal life in Christ, because God is eternal, and he himself can give life, and he himself does give life, and God also takes life away. If God was not eternal, this promise would be empty. 
he could not deliver on the promise. But God can deliver on the promise, and he has delivered on the promise in Jesus. And he will deliver those who come to Christ by faith. So ask yourself this question as you've gathered with us this morning. Where do you stand before God this Christmas? It's fun to remember Jesus. It's fun to celebrate. It's fun to open gifts and presents. But consider for yourself where you stand before God this Christmas if you've never considered before. You may have never thought about eternity up to this point. Maybe it's a distant thought. Maybe you just didn't care. But today, friend, you've been presented with the question, and it would serve you well to consider it. What does your eternity, the eternity that is coming, what does it look like for you? Will you be united to Christ by faith and reconciled to your God? Or will you stand alone before God by your own perceived goodness or your abilities and claim that you deserve eternity with him, the same one that you're rejecting in disbelief right now? Do not reject the Lord Jesus. Eternity is a long time. And this eternity we've been speaking of can only go one of two ways. Either it will be filled with the fullness of God's love, God's compassion poured out on you in Christ Jesus, which is the fullness of joy, the fullness of hope, the fullness of peace, love, satisfaction, the things that you crave in life right now, you will not find in this life because you can only find them in the Lord Jesus and the heavens will be filled with his glory, this glory, everything that you want right now you cannot find because you're searching for it in temporal earthly things only jesus can give you these things and you will have them now and there by faith or the other option is that it will be filled with the fullness of god's wrath which is the fullness of sorrow pain rejection from a holy God and judgment, hell that Jesus says is outer darkness. That he says in that place, the strongest language that he can give it is that it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm will never die and the fire will never be quenched. Friend, hear the glorious news of the gospel that you don't have to be there. You can be with the Lord Jesus and experience his love, his joy, his compassion poured out on you on the cross by faith. Christmas ought not be a time that starts and ends for you with baby Jesus in a manger or picking presents out from under a tree or lights or Christmas trees or songs and carols and things like this. Christmas should be about Christ. Christ's first advent began with his birth but culminated in his life, his death and resurrection for sinners like you and me. We can't stop at the manger. We must go to the crown. The cross where he poured his life out for us, his blood on the cross covering our sins and our iniquities by faith. This is good news. This is great news. Trust in Jesus. Jesus can deliver you. He is the eternal Christ and you must not delay in time today because our Christ said he would come again and we don't know when that is. We don't know. So we must not delay at his second advent when he does come. We will see everything in subjection to him. And we who trust him will rejoice forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in his joy that he gives to us for free as a gift by faith. Friend, if you want that kind of joy, maybe you feel joyless. Maybe you feel like life is pointless. There is a point and there is joy. Maybe you feel hopeless. There is real hope that is offered to you, but you cannot find it by searching for it in the dark. You have to look to the light who came in the flesh, the Lord Jesus, and you can have joy and hope there. You can have it there in him. We want you to have it. Christians know this joy. We want you to have it. If you don't know Christ, if you came with someone this morning, talk to them about this. Talk to them about why Jesus came, what it means that he died, what it means that he rose, what is sin. Ask hard questions. We would love to try to answer those hard questions for you. Don't be afraid to talk about these things right now because we don't know when the end will come. Ask hard questions. Even if you've heard about Christmas your whole life, don't be ashamed as if you should already know. 
If you don't know, that's okay. Ask. While you have today, make sure that your eternity will be with your eternal Christ, which is what we long for and wait for. The remainder of our time, church, I want to point out all the glories that are to come for those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. We have a lot to look forward to, and that should change how we live today. So let's take the beauty of our eternal Christ and what he's accomplished for us in eternity, and let's apply it to our lives today. I want to give some sentences as application because I want, I want these sentences to serve you as truths that you can memorize and you can use in your mind as you live today, as you live today in light of eternity, as you fight sin today, as you live the Christian life today, as hard as it is. I want these truths to be, Lord willing, a rock for you. So let's look at three. And Lord willing, let's look at how these truths actually permeate into the rest of our lives when we believe them, when we believe them. So back to Isaiah 65. We already discussed why there had to be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's great news. It's great news. We will be with God in Christ for eternity. Christ being the pivotal point of it all. So now, let's look to the new heavens and the new earth and let's revel together in the glories that they hold for us who are in Christ. Three truths, no lies. Each will begin with Christ is eternal. So if you want to write that down three times because that is the ground of our assurance. That is the reason why these truths can be true for us. Without Christ, none of these are true for us. So with each truth, I'll state the opposite for clarity as well. Truth number one for us, Christians. Christ is eternal. By faith in him, I have eternal life. Christ is eternal. By faith in him, I have eternal life. And the opposite. Without faith in Christ, I have eternal death. If one's true, the other is true. There is no in between. So let's look at verse 20 and 22 in Isaiah 65. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days for the young man shall die a hundred years old. Verse 22. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. There's a promise here that death will be no more. No more death and everything that comes with it. Sorrow, pain, fear, hurt. We look around us in the here and now and we see death on full display. Some of us here this morning have been touched by death in significant ways. The pain is real, and I want to encourage you that God knows the pain that you feel. He understands. And that hurts us, and it weighs heavy on us. But Christian, there will be a day when death will be put to death. Church, death will be no more. In Christ, we have that promise and we know that through him, we ourselves will live forever. We may die physically here, but death for us is only a doorway to eternal glory. And we can trust this because Christ himself is life. Look what he says, John 1.4. In him was life and the life was the light of men. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hear this as well. If there's any hope for eternity, it can only be found in Jesus. If our faith is in him, we have, we possess eternal life. We have hope in the life to come with the life himself because he himself is life. And notice some of the encouragements that flow out of this truth. If we believe that, I, in Christ, if I have faith in Christ, I have eternal life. Notice some of the truths that flow. As long as Christ lives, we live with him now and will live with him forever. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. 
Paul is speaking to our death to sin right now and death to sin's penalty, which is the judgment to come. But we in Christ are set free from both because Christ lives and he lives forever. As he lives, he helps us in our weakness now. We can overcome sin now in the day today, right now because of the truth that Christ lives. He conquered sin and death. He has created in us a clean, a new, a living heart with new desires for life-giving things. And we can walk this way right now. When you're tempted to live like you used to before Jesus saved you, Christian, think about these things. Think and remember that Christ is alive and himself will deliver you by the Spirit now from temptation and sin and will one day himself come to deliver you from sin and death forever. If you're here and you've been struggling, you know and love Jesus, you trust him, you've been struggling with sin. Be encouraged, brother or sister, that Christ lives right now. He lives in you and he is with you by the Spirit. You can kill sin because Jesus has already killed it. Walk in his light. Obey him and trust his strength with his victory over sin and death on your mind. If he's won, you win. Another thought, as long as Christ lives, we will be with him. Where he is, we will be. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who's your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice our life, our eternal life, is hidden in Jesus, in God. That's some secure speech. No one will ever take that away from you in Christ. Remember the security you have in the day-to-day as you walk with Christ. He is your life. Your life is hidden in him and he in God. No one can take that away. Who shall separate you from the love of God in Christ? Nothing. You who trust in Christ by faith, you have eternal life and you can have security right now today that nothing can take your life away. Not even physical death can take your life away. Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And as he rose, we too will rise. Not even your sin can take away the security you have. Now, hear me with this. This isn't a free pass to disobedience. Christians can't just live their life in disobedience as they want. Obedience to Christ is evidence of saving faith. But I do want to say this. For a brother or sister who feels like every time they sin, God changes up his promises to them or changes his mind toward them in some kind of way to you. God's promise remains true to you in Christ. When you fall short, every one of us falls short every day. Every one of us sins. But what we do at that point says a lot about what we believe. If you've sinned, Quicken your feet to run to Christ. Don't sit in it. Confess it and walk with Christ. You've not lost him. He's not lost you in a moment of disobedience. But a lifetime of disobedience proves you never knew him. And finally, don't miss verse 20 when it says this. The sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. It looks like in the text that the sinner lived out his days like the young man to the fullest without repercussion. It almost looked as if the sinner received the same eternal blessings as the young man of God in this text. But notice, he didn't get away. The Lord repaid him for his sinful rejection of him. And so hear me, apart from faith in the Christ who takes away our sins, We remain in our sins, and we will receive sin's penalty, eternal judgment. So turn to Christ by faith. Turn to Christ afresh 
by faith. If you've been walking away from God for some time, you feel like you're, you're separated from him, turn to Christ by faith today and receive the promised eternal life now and to come. Truth number two of three. <clears throat> Christ is eternal. By faith in him, I am eternally reconciled to God. By faith in him, I am eternally reconciled to God. And the opposite. Without faith in him, I am eternally separated from God. Notice in verse 18, there will be rejoicing forever. Verse 19, God will rejoice in Jerusalem, his holy city, and be glad in his people. And in his presence, all these blessings that follow in verses 20 through 25 are true. We know that God will be with us and we will be with him because of the same chapter we looked at earlier, Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Have you ever felt the weight of that? We will be reconciled to our God no longer separated because of sin. Revelation 21, 10 through 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Revelation 21, 22 and 23. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, Christ. And the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, Christ. The holy city, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, coming from God, a new city, will be the place we dwell with God forever. Not here. It will be in a new heavens and a new earth. And that's because we're reconciled to God. And because we're reconciled to God, we gain all the benefits of being near God right now and then and being united to him in Christ. We gain eternal peace, satisfaction, joy, rest. We gain reconciliation with God. It involves more than a change of position. So hear me there. Christ had to pay our debt for sin. It has to be paid. Someone has to pay it because sin separates us from God. And once Christ paid for our sin, then he had to credit us his perfect righteousness because God requires our perfect obedience. And then after he paid our debt and he credited it to us, his righteousness, Christ, as our high priest, brings us to God. He brings us to him. He made us righteous and brings us back to our God. And we praise Jesus for that. What we could never do, Christ did for us. And here are some encouragements from that truth, setting that truth and believing that truth in your mind and your heart. One of them, God is always with you. He's always with you and me. You're not alone. Here and now. Church, God is with you and he is in you. If you feel lonely, if you feel lonely, rejoice that Christ has reconciled you to your God. And through Christ, you're able to rest in the presence of God who is with you right now and will never leave you. If you feel downcast, Christian, rejoice knowing that our God is with you in your sorrow. He's not left you alone. If you feel hurt or sorrowful, rejoice knowing that our God knows your pain. Jesus has felt your pain. And he himself can heal now those wounds. And will forever heal those wounds by his wounds in eternity. No more shall be heard in that city a sound of weeping. And a cry of distress. Speaking of God's presence with us, God is with us. He was with us. The Emmanuel at his first advent when Jesus was born into this world. And he was made, it was made through him a way for a depth of fellowship that goes beyond 
dwelling physically. So hear me. It's beyond dwelling with him physically. He will come again at his second advent to bring us to himself physically, 100%. But he has also, he has made a way for us to enjoy his presence right now. And Christ has done so through the sending of the Spirit who indwells us as believers, who is our helper, our comforter, who unites us with God and with one another. In this way, Christ has reconciled us to God and he's reconciled us to one another. God indwells each of us, his children, and the Lord in his infinite wisdom has saved us into this body that we might dwell together right now and experience God's presence through each other. As we know, the temptation to forget God is real, and it's evident throughout the entirety of scriptures that it's easy to forget about God. But the Lord has ordained that he would dwell within us spiritually and give us a tangible, physical reality to enjoy his presence right now today, his local church. We enjoy reconciliation with God when we enjoy reconciliation with one another in this local church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, speaks of the communion we share as Christians. He says this, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. What does this mean? It means first that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. It means, second, that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. It means, third, that in Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. So Christians, through our faith in Christ, And Christ, by the power of the Spirit living in us, we can and should come together. We should walk together in love, walk with one another in communion, and encourage one another in Christ with the reconciliation to God that we share together. And we should share this with those who don't yet know Christ, that they too can have reconciliation with God and reconciliation with his people. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Church, as Christians, we ought to want others to know this message of reconciliation. Do you want other people to know this? And how does your desire for wanting people to know it show up in your life and what you do? The choices that you make, the people you hang around with. We should want them to know what it means to be reconciled to our God through Jesus Christ and share in the joys with us who's sharing it right now with one another. We've experienced it right now, the taste of heaven, and we want them to share it with us. And then we want them to join alongside with us and benefit from this reconciliation between one another and continue in our work to share it with the world as the day draws near. And we don't know when that's going to be. And one more encouragement from that truth about the reconciliation with God. And sometimes the simplest truths are the most important to remember. So hear this, God loves us and God is for us. God loves us and God is for us. Knowing God's love for us, church, gives us hope for the future despite the difficulties that we face every single day. Knowing that we can never be separated from God's love gives us confidence. It gives us confidence to follow, to obey, to walk, even boldness to proclaim this message of reconciliation to anyone and everyone who needs to hear it. Once reconciled to him and to his church, knowing God's love for me helps me to love you. And it helps you to love me. Despite differences, we are united in Christ. God's love for me helps me to overlook offense, to bear with to build up this church. And then knowing God is for us, well, church, this unifies us and gives us a joy inexpressible together that is unbreakable. 
God being for us gives us endurance to face trials together as one and pursue oneness in all that we do, everything that we do. Apart from faith in Christ, however, to be clear again, your greatest need in this life is not more gifts under the tree or another Christmas to come. Your biggest need in this life is reconciliation to God. There is no other relationship that you need. There is no relationship to God's people, his church, for someone who has not first bowed their knee to King Jesus and through faith been reconciled to God. Last truth, truth number three. Christ is eternal. By faith in him, I will receive an eternal inheritance. By faith in him, I will receive an eternal inheritance. And the opposite, without faith in Christ, I will receive an eternal judgment. Before Christ's departure, he said to his disciples in John 14, 1 through 4, this statement, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Church, we know the way to where Christ is. It is through faith in our risen Christ that we will receive this eternal inheritance, this heaven in which we will go and never die. Our days will be like trees. Look at verse 21 through 25 with me. This is blessing language. See here it says, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. This, is, this language reflects the blessing and curses laid out in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 28. The heavens where we're going will be a prosperous place, one of satisfaction, peace, fruitfulness. We'll not labor in vain, a place where death will be no more, pain will be no more, destruction will be no more. All will be at peace on God's holy mountain because death and Satan, verse 25. Remember the promise in Genesis 25 says, and dust shall be the serpent's food. He'll get what he was promised. He will be judged and we will receive what we were promised in Christ Jesus. Our eternal inheritance is to dwell in the presence of God forever. Our eternal inheritance is to enjoy the presence of God forever. Our eternal inheritance is to enjoy the pleasures that we will receive with God forever. Hear this, church, and rejoice with me. And we know, we know that day will come for us because we hope in an eternal Christ who will come again and we look forward every day and we rejoice every Sunday looking forward to that day when Christ will return, that final day when Christ comes for his bride. We look forward to it with ever-increasing joy. And we read scriptures about it. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, we will always be with him. We will rejoice with him and worship him alone for all eternity, knowing it is because of him, our eternal Christ, that we're even able to be in the presence of God, even able to enter the presence of God. It's because of him, Jesus, our eternal Christ, that we will not receive the judgment we deserve. It is because of him, our eternal Christ, that we will be in and enjoy the presence of our God for all eternity. It's because of him, our eternal Christ, that we will inherit 
the kingdom of God. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's because of him, our eternal Christ, that we here, people from all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages will come from the east and from the west and recline at table with the king. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, his church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Past present, future. Past, present, future. Blessed then are all who have been baptized into Christ, who put on Christ, the saints of God, who together as Christ's church are the bride of Christ. And we will sit at his table, his table, Christ's table, for all eternity. What an inheritance. The Christian life is cyclical, is it not? We're always looking back to ground today's assurance and looking forward to what is coming. The Lord Jesus gave us, his church, two ordinances as signs in this cycle of remembrance and anticipation. The first ordinance is baptism. When a person repents of their sins and trusts in Christ, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 to baptize them. Baptism is a sign that represents our death to sin and our life with Christ. It represents our reconciliation with our God and entrance into his covenant people, his church. The second ordinance that he gave us, we practice every Sunday here at Redeemer, including today. What a perfect day. The Lord's Supper. Whereas we are only baptized once, the Lord's Supper is an ongoing sign that we do together as a church in remembrance of Christ and a proclamation of his death until he comes again. A sign that points each of us back to Christ. It points us back to our baptisms where we publicly declared our faith in Christ. It reminds us of the reconciliation that we have thus received with God and with one another, a sign that points us to our unity as one body in Christ today and a sign that points our eyes forward in hope for the day when we will be sitting at the Lord's table with him forever, past, present, future. We as members of Christ's body, his church, we anticipate an eternal inheritance every time we partake of the Lord's Supper together.